Hello and welcome back to another episode of A Cozy Christmas Podcast. I'm your host, Art, and Marley was dead to begin with. Alright, we all know by now that A Christmas Carol is, hands down, my favorite book of all time. If not favorite, probably it comes in at number two. Tale of Two Cities might be my number one story. But Christmas Carol is up there. The next two episodes, we're going to be focused specifically on looking at A Christmas Carol. Today, I'll be talking with author Gina D'Alfonso, who has just published a book that she edited called The Gospel in Charles Dickens. And it's a collection of his writings with some annotations by Gina that focus on how the gospel is reflected in the writings of Charles Dickens. If that's a topic of interest to you, it's it's a excellent, excellent book. And so I'm going to have her on the podcast today. We're going to talk about the story of A Christmas Carol and all things Dickens. We're going to look at especially the theme of redemption and how it appears in the story. And then in the following episode, we're going to have a very, very special guest. Who might that be? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Stick around till the end of the episode to find out. And no fair skipping ahead just to find out. You have to wait. And if you skip ahead, you're going to be on Santa's naughty list. Guaranteed. I know Santa. He said no skipping. All right. Uh, In all seriousness, I really enjoyed the interview with, with Gina talking about my favorite book. So if you are a fan of Christmas Carol, like I am, we're going to talk about it and so much more. Let's go and uh, we'll, we'll visit with Gina. And so here's the interview. Well, as many of you know, I love Charles Dickens and I am a huge Christmas Carol fanatic. And I am excited to have uh, with me today, Gina D'Alfonso. She's the editor of the Dickens blog and also has just recently written a book called uh, The Gospel in Dickens. And it's a, a, a survey of all the, of many of the passages in Dickens writings that uh, have the themes of the gospel and of redemption. And it, it is a remark, a remarkable read, and it's a very good introductory read if you're interested in the topic of, of Dickens's religious beliefs and his writings. Gina, I wel- welcome you today to the Cozy Christmas Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, I'm, I was really glad to have you on. I came across, I think, your your blog, first of all, boy, some years ago. and it was, it's always nice to find a community of people uh, that share your interests. Yes. And uh, then from there, we connect up on Facebook and, and uh, we have, there's a nice community there on Facebook as well. Yeah. So Gina, um, tell us a, a little bit about who you are and or how, how you became interested in Charles Dickens. Oh, well, that goes all the way back to ninth grade when I first read uh, Great Expectations and just fell in love with it and fell in love with Dickens and started to read uh, all of his works that I could find. I mean, obviously it took a number of years because there are a lot of works and some of them are very lengthy, but uh, I've been a big fan ever since. I started Dickens' blog in, I think it was 2009 or thereabouts. Not so much to, you know, sort of come across as an expert 
around Dickens, but more to learn about him because there's always more to learn about Dickens. There's just so much there and so much depth, so much to discover, uh, so much detail. So uh, starting the blog was a way for me to learn more, to meet other people who, um, who know and love Dickens and, and could teach me more about him. And so, and then I started the Facebook group that's associated with the blog, as you know, you've been a, a wonderfully active participant there. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's been a, a great opportunity for Dickensians to come together and, and chat and, and learn stuff. And um, then, as you said, I, I, uh, I released the book in September with Plow Publishing and uh, that was a chance for me to explore my interest in Dickens and, and just how he sort of wrestled with religion and, and what his beliefs were and what he thought, what Christianity meant to him. It does seem like he's had a kind of complicated relationship with the church at times. Yes. Where, remember, I, I think he had trouble with uh, people telling saying like children had a had a sin nature or, or that there was going to be a, that they were i don't know how to put this but that i think you'd probably have some issues with original sin um mm-hmm. in in children but then also you know he's such a big i think we'd probably call it social gospel proponent you know where he wants to make sure people are taken care of and he wants to make sure that um you know they have food and they have a place to live and you know that they're not um poor uh, or living in poverty and, and forgotten. And then sometimes churches didn't always put an emphasis on that. I always wondered how he would, <laughs> how he would see things today with the, the state of, of some, sometimes churches get into, mm-hmm. they don't care, seem to care about the, the physical needs of people versus the spiritual needs of, of people. Yes. That, that was always something that bothered him. So much of his thinking and writing on faith came from a place of, you know, distress and anger that the church wasn't practicing what it preached, that it wasn't mm-hmm. caring for the poor as, as Christ had called it to do. And so um, there are those who think he wasn't religious at all. But, I, but, I, but when you read his books, when you read his writings, both uh, personal and public, you can't really say that because Clearly, scripture meant something very significant to him. His thinking was just it, the way he wrote, his imagery, his his quotations, his language were just saturated with scripture. Clearly, the redemption story touched something very in him very strongly, uh, mm-hmm. because I mean, you can find echoes of it throughout his works. It's just that he he really had major issues with the church and, and his thinking wasn't always entirely orthodox too, as, as you've pointed out, but yeah. uh, that I think that the issue of the church being commanded to care for the poor and not always doing a good job of it, that, that was one of the major issues for him. Yeah. And boy, when he would get passionate about something, you know, look out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I would uh, fear ever being on the end of uh be in his sights, you know, if he was coming after you. So, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not a good place to be. No, not at all. Yeah. Uh, so, you you started your interest off in reading Great Expectations. And, you know, that's, I think, I mean, that was the first one that really caught my attention, too. I can 
I can remember as a, I think it was maybe 12 or 13 and I uh, saw a trailer for a great expectations. I think it was a PBS miniseries or something. And I don't, I never, I didn't end up watching it, but I was so captured by the imagery just in the trailer that I, I ran out and grabbed the book and started reading it. And <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't at that time make it all the way through, um, but I sure made a good attempt at it. But then I kept coming back to it. And then of course, Christmas Carol, I, you know, connect the dots and Hey, he, he wrote one of my favorite movies. This is <laughs> okay. You know, it, that's very similar to how it was for me because when I was a kid, I loved uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol, you know, the, the animated Disney oh, version. Yeah. Uh, with you know goofy as uh, the ghost of jacob marley and all that <laughs> i i I've, oh, i was so into that i watched it so many times so yeah as you say when i got older and then i love great expectations and then i sort of put two and two together oh you know same author <laughs> so yeah yeah it, it's uh it, i imagine it works that way for a lot of people <laughs> boy that that was one i loved watching and and you know, I get excited still when I hear the music because I, mm -hmm. I always seem to remember watching it on Christmas Eve or really close to Christmas. And uh, I was like, all right, Christmas is almost here now. <laughs> now, this this might be a hard question, but do you have a favorite movie version of Christmas Carol? Well, I'm very fond of the Alistair Sim version. Mm -hmm. I think that one is just special. It has... It has a lot of great actors. It has all kinds of imaginative and interesting little touches. It, you may recall also that on my blog uh, several years ago, I had an interview with uh, Teresa Darrington, who played Scrooge's, I'm sorry, who played Fred's maid in that version. And uh, I mean, it, it was just, uh, it was so interesting and fun how the whole thing came about. Uh, I, I had posted something on the blog about how this actress who just has this very small part, but she plays it so well mm -hmm. and uh, she, she's so admired, but her, her name didn't make it into the credits and people didn't know who she was. And then one of her relatives posted to tell me, this is who she is. And yeah. put and that she and a couple of family members uh, got together and put her in touch with me. And I got to interview her over the phone and that was just such a highlight for me <laughs> in my whole history of blogging yeah. of writing uh to get the chance to do that was wonderful so uh all that to say i sort of feel like i have a little personal connection with that version of the of or that film adaptation uh but i will say a close second is the muppet christmas carol i love that version so much just as like i think nearly everybody does. It's so sweet and funny. And, you know, it's really very, it, it really follows Dickens very closely and it incorporates a lot of his language into it uh, more than a lot of other versions do, I think, just through the device of having Gonzo <laughs> narrate uh, portraying yes. Mr. Dickens. So, I mean, you gotta love that. It's really funny. It's really cute. It's really, you know, appealing to the kids, but it's yeah. at the same time, it's a way to bring Dickens language into it. So, I mean, you know, how can you not love that? Right. Right. Well, okay. Th those are acceptable answers. Good job. No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> no. Yeah. Those are two of my favorites. Uh, I mean, in the Mickey's Christmas Carol is it's amazing what that can do with just how yes. little bit of time screen it has. So, or screen time it has. 
I guess let's kind of, uh, I guess, switch gears here a little bit and and talk about your book and as it relates to even a Christmas Carol. You again have written a book called The Gospel and Dickens. Uh, what I like about it is how it just collects in one place all the passages that really pertain, or, or you'll see his religious beliefs come out uh, in his writing, and then you have some annotations on those that are are helpful to kind of. Uh, explain a few things. And so I, you know, if this is a topic people are interested in, I think this is a great place to start is just to read what he wrote himself and take it from there. So as we look at at A Christmas Carol, I mean, this is such a well-known story. It's been adapted and readapted. Uh, it's been put into different TV shows and and all these things. It's, I mean, everybody knows the story. And so as we look at that story today. Um, and I want to consider the things like redemption uh, in the story. All that to say, uh, how would you define uh, what is the gospel? Uh, you know, somebody might not know that, be familiar with that term. Uh, so when we say the gospel in Dickens, what are you referring to there? At the most basic level, as you know, I, I, I think um, the, the word gospel just means good news. Mm-hmm. And it's... Um, the word we use to uh, describe uh, the good news of Christ, his, his life, death, resurrection, and his teachings. So um, the, the title here, The Gospel in Dickens, it actually comes from, my, my publisher, Plow, has a whole series of the gospel in great writers books, which I recommend. They have the Gospel in Tolstoy, the Gospel in Dostoevsky, uh, the Gospel in Dorothy L. Sayers, uh, several several entries, and um, and so that's why this is called the Gospel in Dickens. And the idea of each book in this series, and so the idea of my book, is to just say, okay, what did this writer think of the gospel? How did this writer engage with the gospel? What did it mean to this person? Uh, How did he write about it? All these things. So what I did was I chose passages from Dickens and several of those are from A Christmas Carol, Mm -hmm. uh, but also many from the other books as well. Uh, And I sort of, I, I just arranged them in a way that you can sort of see Dickens' thoughts on the gospel coming out in them. You can you can see themes of sin and redemption and restoration and what it looks like to live a good life. Uh, all all these things, how they play out in the thinking and writing of Charles Dickens. Uh, yeah. So the I mean the gospel is for for many churches, uh, you know, that's the the foundation of uh, I, I think what our mess message should be, you know, that good news that we can have redemption, that we can have forgiveness, restoration with God, however, I guess, however people want to put that. I got interested in this subject. uh, Oh, and I can't think of the guy's name now. It was the book God and Charles Dickens. Mm -hmm. By Gary College, yes. I had gotten that book for Christmas a couple of years ago because mm. you know my, my family knows what I like. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It was kind of my introduction into that because I hadn't really thought about it, you know, and, and then I realized that, wow, there is really a, a deep religious aspect to um, a lot of what Dickens wrote, especially uh, in my mind in a Christmas Carol. 
just the whole journey Scrooge takes from being that, well, as I got the passage here, he's referred to as a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, <laughs> which is just a uh, wonderful uh, wonderful description well terrible description of of someone but <laughs> maybe you had pointed that out somebody had pointed that out that it's it's beautifully written and yet it's accurate but also you know what a terrible state to be in mm-hmm. so we we find scrooge i guess for lack of a better term we find scrooge as an old sinner uh who has turned away from the world he has followed his his idol his his god of money and we see that it hasn't really brought him to a a happy place in his life so when we talk about the gospel here we is it important to see scrooge as someone who needs to be redeemed Mm -hmm. yes it that's that's exactly um what dickens i think is trying to help us see uh i mean his use of language i mean as you say he's described as a sinner the ghosts come and tell him that they're there for his welfare, his, what, what's the word, reclamation, I think. Mm-hmm. I should know that, but <laughs> I, th- I think that's the <laughs> word they use. Um, yeah. I mean, there are very spiritual terms here and, and, and a spiritual principle at work. Although A Christmas Carol is, is sometimes called a secular Christmas story, even, even sometimes like the grandfather of all Christmas or secular Christmas stories. The, the truth is that religious language and imagery is, is very present, not in a way to sort of hit you over the head. I mean, talk of, talk of going to church, talk of uh, the, the child who was born on Christmas Day. It's all there. And it's, it's not just there by accident. I mean, when you, when you read carefully, you see it's really integral to the narrative. And of course, the whole point of the story is this man who needs forgiveness and redemption, uh, who needs to repent. I mean, mm-hmm. it, I, and it doesn't, it, it really doesn't get much more Christian than that. Right. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, the people that Scrooge is presented alongside of, you, you know, we've got like uh, even his, his, his clerk, Bob Cratchit and his family, that just really good people, you know, that it's almost like the Cratchits are the ideal that Scrooge should strive for, uh, but maybe he doesn't see it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know. Scrooge treats him so poorly, and yet Bob continues to be kind, and he continues to be, you know, loving towards his family and um, cares about other people. But then you contrast that with his other, with you know, Jacob Marley, who sounds like he was just a terrible person. <laughs> 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 we we don't really get a whole lot of details about Jacob Marley in the in the story itself. And I know some stories have been written recently trying to maybe flesh out Jacob Marley's story more. You know, that there's an interesting character. And, and I think it was, he was the one who, when he confronted Scrooge, you know, doesn't he say something like, you know, why didn't I lift my eyes to the star that guided the, the wise men to the manger or mm-hmm. something like that? Exactly. He's realizing in his, in his death that he should have repented or he should have pursued that redemption and he, he just did it. Yes. And, and, it, and you see how Marley ties Christian faith explicitly to helping others it, through his whole, his whole speech that he gives and, and, and this, that, that 
amazing and creepy scene where, where you see all the ghosts wandering about and wanting to help people and now they can't, mm. which is, I mean, so striking and, and stays in your memory. Um, in, in all of that, Dickens ties, um, you know, seeking the Christ child and, and seeking redemption and seeking faith to helping those around you, to, to looking around at uh, your community and seeing how you can help. You know, I'm trying to remember the exact wording, but something about how how um, his business was not was mankind, but he couldn't see it at the time. Um, yes. His business was not just, you know, his little counting house business. His business was everybody around him and he failed to see that. Right. I mean, that's a theme that I think we all could pick up on, you know, whether people have a have a faith in God or not. But that idea that that mankind is our business, that we need to be looking out for each other and helping each other out. I mean, I think that's a, that's a teaching that we can all, uh, <laughs> we can all at least agree on that should be what we, we should be doing. Yes. There at the beginning, Scrooge is in his counting office or counting house. And those two uh, people come in who are collecting uh, money for the poor and, and all those things, mm-hmm. you know, he has those those words that come literally come back to haunt him, you know, when he says, are there no workhouses? Mm. Uh, Again, you know, I see a lot of times those two characters are kind of set up as almost comic relief kind of thing. And, and you wonder what their purpose is, but when you really understand, you know, for Dickens, this is what we should be doing is to, to give to those people. If you have, um, you know, if you have the, the resources to help someone in need, then you should make maybe make that effort to do that and not just mm-hmm. hoard it all to yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really love uh, Dickens' wording there when, when he, he has the two gentlemen talk about how this is the time of year when they want to help the poor because it's the time when abundance rejoices and want is most keenly felt. And he just puts those two there side by side. And so, and it's so typical of him to, to just embrace both of those concepts at the same time. Yes, it's Christmas time. Yes, we should rejoice. Yes, people should, should be celebrating and making merry. And at the same time, people are suffering terribly and we should be helping. Them. He, he um, I love that about him because he's like a big picture thinker. He, he's not saying, mm-hmm. you know, um, shame on you for making Mary <laughs> and forgetting about the poor. He, he's saying, he's saying uh, these two things should go together. They're tied together. And we, we should never forget that, uh, that those who are joyful, it should remind them to turn around and help others to be joyful. You know, I, I, I think there's some truth in that too of, um, you know, it's that time of year where maybe poverty is more keenly felt, mm-hmm. you know, because you see everyone having a great time and you see, you know, these families that are celebrating and, you know, maybe there's a lot of presents or whatever, and, and you aren't able to do that. You know, it, it can, it can hurt, mm-hmm. especially, you know, as a child, maybe, uh, especially children are more sensitive to that. I like what you said there that Dickens, you know, wants you to celebrate big, but don't forget those you know, your fellow man in that process. Right. Uh, and, and I think, you know, maybe uh, this year with, uh, as many are calling it a uh, COVID Christmas, <laughs> we're maybe going to have <laughs> some more, some more opportunities to maybe to practice this, to reach out to those people who are suffering and help them out 
you know, remembering that mm-hmm. we're, we're fellow creatures walking together through this. Yes. Yes. And so Scrooge has this interesting journey through the story. He, he's confronted with his past and we find that there are some maybe valid reasons he is the way he is. Uh, you know, he's had some heartache. He's had some tragedy. You know, he also let in a, an idol in his life as I think his fiance put it, you know, that um, a golden idol has replaced her. You know, he loves money more than anything else. And, you know, if we want to carry on a religious themes there, you know, scripture has a lot to say about the love of money and it's evil. Right. Having these illustrations like this or, or having a story like this, we see this is what happens when you love money above all else. You know, you become a, a, a bitter, mm-hmm. angry, lonely man. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. He, and he's just alone through, through this, what should be the joyous, most joyous time of year for him. Where do you think in the story, where does Scrooge really begin to start uh, a, a change in his, I guess, in his journey of redemption? Well, I think it's fairly early on. The, the change sort of, it happens gradually, and yet I think it starts pretty early. Um, those scenes of his past just really start to work on him pretty quickly, which makes you think, well, the, it, it must be a long time that he's completely buried these thoughts and not gone back to them at all, his history, because... Um, for, for that for them to move him so much it's like well this this must be something he hasn't thought of in a long time because he's so hardened and and, and withered inside but things like uh like when he goes when he sees Fezziwig giving the party and, and he says you know all he it wasn't it wasn't uh just that he spent a little money on a Christmas party it was the spirit in which he did it it was his kindness. It was his generosity and all these things. And then all, he, he says something like, Oh, I, I wish I could say a word to my, to, to Bob Cratchit that right now, that's all. So, you, yeah. you know, um, yeah. it, I mean, it, it doesn't, when you get right down to it, it doesn't take much to move him. It's just that for all these years, he refused to face up to these things that would move him. And then, of course, when he gets into the present and he sees the Cratchit family and uh, Fred and, and uh, his party and, and all these things, they do their own their own work uh, towards mm-hmm. changing him. But uh, it, it's really happening all through the night, almost from, from the very beginning. I mean, I read this story every year just about, I think I've read it about 20 times, maybe more. And every time I always seem to catch something, but I, I remember mm-hmm. reading that when he's there and he, in, in Christmas past and he sees himself and in, in, you know, in the corner of the schoolhouse and it says, and he wept. And I, I was just really mm-hmm. um, struck by that, that, you know, the past has had a, a profound impact on him when he's faced with it, it, it just, it moves him. It, it, it's almost a traumatic experience for him. Yes. Yes. That's well said. But then, then bring it to the present. Uh, it's, and it's one of my favorite passages where it's at near the end of uh, when uh, the, the Bob Cratchit family scene. And, you know, it talks about how they weren't, you know, they weren't a handsome family, but you know, they, 
Peter knew the inside of a pawn shop and, but they were happy with each other and yes. contented <laughs> with the time. Um, and I, I love that, that passage. Yes. It's probably my, it's hard to pick a favorite one, but that's the one I, I really sticks out. But then it says like, he is watching tiny Tim until the last. And it, it's like, mm-hmm. boy, something about that. He just is, is to the point of being broken. And then you jump to the future and he sees like the end results of his behavior. He, mm-hmm. he dies alone and tiny Tim dies very young. It brings heartache to the family. And mm-hmm. you, you know, it, it's, it's like, if this is the path you're going to choose to live, here's just a couple of results yeah. that will come from it. And I mean, and that's, generally what you find a lot of in Dickens's writings, if, if uh, I'm not mistaken, is that he's trying to get his readers to see here's the way people are living and this is why it's wrong or mm-hmm. this, is, this is what it will result in. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to think of some of his other novels. Like I know, uh, what is it? Is it Nicholas Nickleby that talks about the, the schools that mm-hmm. are, uh, poorly run and and all that and yes. you know oliver twist you know he's trying to get you to see the plight of the orphans on the street and you know other other stories like that it's um he, he wants his his readers to see that there are uh people who are hurting and, and things that need to change and i love that he ties it all up in a just a well-written story too <laughs> yes yes Yes, he was the master of that. <laughs> and that's what a, a thing, I guess, just as a side note that I love about his his writing is that, you know, like Christmas Carol, it's a great story if you just wanted to read it for the story's sake. But if you really dig down into it, you can find a profound amount of, you know, religious themes, uh, social themes. I, I mean, I was going to ask you, do you think A Christmas Carol is just as relevant for our world today as it was when he first wrote it. Yes, absolutely. I think, I think it's timeless. So I think it will always be relevant. I think that it just calls us to look beyond ourselves. It, it calls us out of our natural selfishness, which I think everyone has some of, I know I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's, it, um, it, it just, again, it just asks to look around, to see the people who are in want, uh, the people we can help, the people who are, you know, practically at our doorstep, but that we maybe haven't thought about. And it tells us, you know, this is Christmas. This is when we, we celebrate. This is when abundance rejoices again. We, we, we celebrate um a gift that was given to us by God and uh, in, in his name, it, in remembrance of him, we need to get out beyond ourselves and to reach out to those who need help, who are in want. And, you know, that message will always be relevant. As you said, you know, this is going to be a particularly tough Christmas for many. And these are the people that, these always were the people that Dickens was most concerned about, the, the sick, the isolated, the poor, the lonely. Um, he wanted us to, to do what we could for them. Um, so yes, it's, it's absolutely relevant. Yeah. When, 
I mean, when we look at the gift we've been given in the, in the gospel, you know, that gift of, mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ, and then to hold that, you know, as if it were only ours or to not then let it change us so that we want to help to reach out and help others or, you know, at the very least be kind uh, to others or um, show that, that love that we've been shown uh, towards others. You know, I, I think it's, it's incredibly selfish of us to just hold on and not show that same love and compassion that has been shown towards us. So then in the story, we get, of course, Scrooge's redemption at the end, which is always a joy to read. Yes. You know, he's, he is excited. He's happy. He's, He's as giddy as a schoolboy, you know. <laughs> I love the little parts that Dickens puts in it. Like, how, how does he say that shaving is complicated, even if you're not trying to dance while you're doing it, you know? <laughs> yes, that's a wonderful line. <laughs> oh, and, and uh, you know, I sometimes think about that when I'm shaving, you know, <laughs> trying to shave and dance around. <laughs> Careful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially on the neck, you know. <laughs> yeah. I love the change that comes over him because, you know, that's the change that the gospel can have in a person's life that um, it gives you hope. It gives you, um, it gives you joy. And I think Scrooge experiences that now to know that he has a chance for redemption and he has a chance Mm -hmm. to do, to do good in the, in the time that he has left. Yes. Yes. And um, he, in, in the language of, of the Bible, he really becomes like a little child. <laughs> and and yeah. uh, I, I mean, that's explicitly scriptural, that, that attitude. But I mean, he, he had to hit rock bottom. He had to see, you know, the depth of his own sin. He had to be humbled. And, but I think Dickens is making a point here that, it's only when you've been humbled that you can know that kind of joy. Scrooge at the end, just completely unselfconscious, no longer self-absorbed, no longer, um, I mean, his, his own self is now at the bottom of his concerns. He, he's just, he just uh, wants to enjoy this happiness and to spread it as far and wide as he can. And so, yeah, that, that's, I mean, it, it's just a glorious picture of redemption. I, I love that he's changed. And I, I know there's, there's, a, boy, there, there's maybe a play or a couple of, or another story or something I, I had come across recently that showed Scrooge like after this all happened and he, he was back to being a, a, a kind of a Grinch again or something. I don't even remember where I came across this, but <laughs> I'm like no, didn't you read? Didn't you read the story? <laughs> it said he yeah. changed. He, he made it a, a an authentic change. Yeah, but, you know, I think it was, I think it was a play that Scrooge tries to to sue the the ghosts of Christmas for interfering in his <laughs> life. <laughs> Something like that. Oh, that's fascinating. I, I haven't heard about this. Yeah, I wish I could remember what it was called now but yeah I, i'm like ah, i don't want that one that's that's somebody didn't read the story 
Yeah. I mean, you can have fun with fanfic. Uh, lots of people have, uh, you know, unpublished and published. Lots of people have, have done all kinds of fun things with like sequel ideas and whatnot. Mm. But um, if you don't get that change in there, <laughs> you're not being authentic. You, you're not being right. true to the spirit of the story. You, you've missed a very, very fundamental truth. So yeah, yeah don't want to go that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's just me though. But yeah, I, I know many people out there love to read the Christmas Carol every year um, and they like to watch mm-hmm. the different movie versions of it. And I, I mean, I think it's such a, an important part of, of many people's Christmas traditions. And I'm, I'm grateful to have, uh, have the story, you know, it, it's, it really helps us to wrap our brains around maybe some of the deeper theological things when we can put a, a story to it. I mean, that's how, how Jesus taught, yes. right? He, he used yes. um, parables, and I think really we could call this story uh, a parable. Mm-hmm. Some might, maybe will disagree, but I, I think it's a great parable. It's a great story of well, of a lot of things. <laughs> I try to sum it up in one yes. word. I don't know if you can. <laughs> it's difficult to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any other thoughts you want to bring up here about the book, about the Christmas Carol? Just that, as you say, it it sort of works like a parable. Uh, It works on so many levels, really. It works as a parable. It works as just a great story. It's, there is so much truth in it. And I, it resonates with us. And I think that's why we keep coming back, keep coming back, keep coming back to it all the time, every year. I mean, it, and of course, it doesn't hurt that it's it's truth that's wrapped in this just wonderful, delightful story with these absolutely unforgettable characters. But it's just that the kinds of stories that stay with you are, are the ones that that hit on these deep fundamental truths that we all deep down recognize. And mm. um, so this is one of them. And uh, so as I was saying earlier, it will always be relevant and people will always be reading it. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Now, do you, do you have a favorite part in Christmas Carol or is is that an impossible question? (laughs) Oh gosh. Oh, how to pick a favorite part. Oh, I don't know. Um, There's so much good stuff. I mean, the ending is great. I, I have a soft spot for the ending. I also, I don't know if I would say it's, I, I would probably change my favorite part like many times, but um, yep. like I, I might have a different favorite every time you ask me, but I'm, I'm a little bit partial to the descriptions of um, Christmas morning oh, when which yeah. is with um, the ghost of Christmas present mm-hmm. and uh, you know, the grocers, Oh, the grocers nearly closed with perhaps two shutters down or one, but through those gaps, such glimpses and and then you get all the wonderful descriptions of the food of the people running around and greeting each other and running into each other and just so you know dickens when he just like overflows into these enthusiastic and excited descriptions i mean there's no writer who can touch him (laughs) he's just (laughs) he's just inspired He, he just he just brings so much joy and and giddiness and excitement to it. And uh, I mean, I could just read that over and over. And I, I just, I'll read the, my favorite part that I had mentioned, but at the Cratchit's house, so again, you're talking about just 
the the humbleness of of the family but it says about the them it says they were not a handsome family they were not well dressed their shoes were far from being waterproof their clothes were scanty and peter might have known and very likely did the inside of a pawnbroker's but they were happy grateful pleased with one another and contented with the time uh, and when they mm-hmm. faded and looked happier yet in the bright sprinklings of the spirit's torch at parting, Scrooge had his eye upon them and especially on tiny Tim until the last. Uh, and I, I just think that's so beautiful that, that you yeah, know, that's a good choice. That's so lovely. They didn't need all the, all the riches of the world. They didn't need all the, the fancy, whatever they had each other and they were happy and content. And, you know, I think that's maybe a lesson we're all being reminded of this year with having to kind of stay home for longer than we want. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Our governor just passed some um, restrictions now because of COVID numbers are going up in Iowa. And she said, you know, that she's going to have to cancel her Thanksgiving plans with her family. And that's hard, but kind of we're in a spot that maybe that's necessary right now. But, you know, I think it's going to be a good reminder to us of what really matters and how much uh, this time is precious for us to uh, to not get caught up in all the, I don't know, commercialism or <laughs> caught up in all the, the sparkle and the shine of the season, but to actually remember what, uh, what really matters. And, and, you know, like you said, not that we shouldn't celebrate and shouldn't, you know, have those those lights and things, but to remember what really, what's really important in our celebrations. Yeah. You make a great point. I mean, I, I have often in the past uh, railed against all those TV specials and commercials that, that have been that, that say, well, the true meaning of Christmas is this, or the true meaning of Christmas is that (laughs) and and come up with a, a, a dozen different, true meanings of Christmas without ever like hitting on the right one. But uh, yeah, I think um, maybe this Christmas is going to make us all have to rethink a few things. And, uh, you know, the circumstances are horrible and Mm -hmm. my heart goes out to everybody who's dealing with them. But times like this, times of trouble, they do make you, they do sort of focus you (laughs) on, on on what matters, as you say. Yeah. You know, we can, turn some good out of this i think i hope so before we go uh do you have any like a favorite christmas memory or or tradition your family does that you'd like to share with our listeners oh sure um well my family is uh largely italian american and so there are a couple of italian cookies (laughs) that we like to make every year uh, at Christmas, pizzelles, which are, for those who don't know, are sort of like a waffle cookie. Uh, you, you make them in something that looks like a waffle iron, and they're like a, a flat cookie, uh, usually with anise flavoring, although you can use different flavorings. And then biscotti, uh, the, like a loaf cookie, we make those too. So uh, those are <laughs> those are one of our, our the most cherished uh, Christmas traditions in my family. Good. That, those sound good. Yes. My uh, my stepmom was uh, Italian and um, she she passed away five years ago or so, I think, uh, or maybe even longer ago now. But uh, she she was a, a feisty little Italian. <laughs> she stood <laughs> five foot tall if, if she was an inch. And <laughs> uh, but she would we, we got to visit her a couple of times over Christmas and 
man, she made uh, goodies and, and cookies mm. and food and oh, it was so good. It was always so good. Pack yeah. in my 15 pounds of, <laughs> of Christmas weight. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. <laughs> uh, if you ever went hungry at her house, you, you, you were not trying or something. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I believe it. Yep. Yep. Well, Gina, I appreciate you giving up an hour tonight to talk about my, one of my favorite books. Oh, it's been great. Yeah. Yeah. If, if only we could have like another three or four hours, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if folks want to find you online, uh, where, where would they do that? Well, you can, you can find me at um, dickensblog.typepad.com. Uh, that's where Dickens blog lives. And uh, I have a, an author page on Facebook. Just look for Gina D'Alfonso author is the best way to search there. Uh, you can also search for Dickens blog on Facebook and find the group that goes with the blog. Um, if you just want to get in there and talk Dickens with fellow fans. And then I'm on Twitter and my handle is just at Gina D'Alfonso, G-I-N-A-D-A-L-F-O-N-Z-O. All right. Yeah. And I, of course, heartily recommend the, uh, the blog and the Facebook group. I always, if I find something I'm excited about, but nobody in my family's excited about, I know where to post, <laughs> <laughs> I know where to post that. <laughs> we are here for you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, our, uh, anyway, uh, Gina, you have a Merry Christmas and thanks for stopping by the podcast. Thanks. Same to you. Okay, I want to again thank Gina for giving up some time to talk to me about Christmas Carol. If you enjoy Dickens like I do, come on over to the Dickens blog on Facebook. You can check her her website out as well. All right, so speaking of Christmas Carol, drumroll please. For our second part of our Christmas Carol mini-series, I had the chance to interview Gerald Dickens, who is the great-great-grandson of Charles Dickens. Uh, he performs uh, one-man theater shows around the United States at Christmas time, and he is the one that I, I have seen him perform several times. I didn't tell him this during the interview, but he's my Scrooge. Hashtag my Scrooge. I'm going to get a chance to talk with him uh, some more about A Christmas Carol. We're going to talk about him performing the, the play and a new film version that he is working on putting together. Um, so I'm really looking forward to sharing that interview with you all. So stay tuned. In a couple days, that interview will drop. I am so grateful for that opportunity. All right. So in the meantime, uh, if you like the show and want to su support us, you can go to ko-fi.com, ko-fi.com. For the price of a cup of coffee, you can help support the show. If uh, you would be so kind as to give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you can rate podcasts and share us among your friends, word of mouth is the best way to let others know about the podcast. And I appreciate those who are doing that. And we're going to hear some from some more of your stories in upcoming episodes. Send me in a Christmas memory. It doesn't have to be long. You can record it on your phone or type it up in an email. Get it to me at cozychristmaspodcast at gmail.com and I'll send you a Christmas card and a podcast sticker. So in the meantime, be kind to each other and share your stories. And remember that there is nothing in the world so irresistibly contagious as laughter and good humor. 
Have a very Merry Christmas.